like a give me love. Now you the catch my shot. For your sake, I go go touch you. We go drive around if for my Porsche. Baby, pana, I say he like you all.
Okay, you know. <laughs> All right. So today uh, we are continuing with our series uh, dealing with our political issues, and uh, today we we are talking to a pastor. The theme of my discussion is the role of clergy in <clears throat> in national development. I mean, whether we like it or not. Uh, different institutions have got a way in which they contribute towards national development in their own way and in their own style and a way of doing things. All right. So our guest called in and he dropped. I, I don't know what's happening there. I told him to call back in. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at times these things can be a little bit, uh, uh, what do you call it, so we'll be talking about these things, uh, Pastor Alan uh, <clears throat> and Noah, and I hope as many people as possible can can what can 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 what? Okay, he seems uh, to be the to be having issues here. Uh, uh, let me see what I can do here. So Alan, uh, Zambia, I was telling. I was telling somebody that uh, I see similarities and parallels between Zambia and the U.S. And in terms of uh, the the role of, well, in this country, uh, they say evangelical, they prefer to use the phrase evangelicals, okay? So, and you can see, I mean, to an extent that there is a, what do you call it? There is a role that I don't want to use the word change because it's one of those abused phrases. Uh, when you say change, what are you meaning? So you can see, uh, Pastor Alan, or yourself, you can see the, the similarity between what goes on here and back in Zambia. I don't know what your comments would be to that. Yeah, the the, the 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 parallels are there and, and the similarities. Um, you know, historically, even when at independence, I think we've always tried to glean the way we do our local politics from um, uh, the West. You know, whether we we are happy with it or not. I mean, there's a British mm. influence, and then of course there's the something that we see from the US. And way back in the beginning of independence, there were also influences from places like India. You know, Indra Gandhi and them were champions of our our fathers, founding fathers of the yes. of the uh, nation Zambia. You know, mm. so all those have had their influences. Um, I mean, if we go back to uh, this is a piece that I found out in history in Zambia. Even the Kenneth Kaunda's, when they were starting to fight for independence, they had to go and seek uh, counsel from church people because people were already gathering in churches. For instance. In Kinsari, it was with the uh, Lenshina, mm-hmm. you know, so yes. Kenneth Kaunda, Kapuipu, and all of them went and sought audience with her before they mm. started, and as they started, and they engaged, and, uh, you know, later on differences uh, came up, and we all know that, that, that history that's there. But um, we, it, it, I think it's safe to say that every society cannot uh, thrive at the exclusion of uh, the church. Uh, mm. You know, in, because I'm a Christian, I'll say the church. 
but to everywhere else we say, generally we say religion. You know, because a people and the conscience of the people is governed really or dictated to buy their religious beliefs to a huge extent. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's the Muslims or highly Catholic churches, like for instance, if we're in Italy and places like that, which are heavily influenced, and a lot of African countries by the Catholics. So um, we cannot escape from the involvement of the church, even though here in the U.S. they've tried to say separation of church by and state. Which and in my view, misinterpreted because the idea was that the church, the the, country, the government cannot dictate to the church how they should worship, when they should worship, and all those things. Now yeah. it is interpreted as if the church cannot correct the government when they are wrong, which is uh, absolutely <laughs> wrong. That's not what the intention was. The intention was that the church would be the moral compass of society and even of governance and all these issues. So there was always an intention that the church would be a timeline, uh, if you want, mm. for uh, the political influence or the direction of the society. The moral fiber of our society is dictated by whatever religious uh, sector you belong to. Okay, okay. Moral. You see, you've raised some very interesting points right here, <laughs> and I'm writing down what you're saying. Every society cannot cannot what cannot thrive at the exclusion of the change. Okay, our guest is here. Um, Pastor Kamrila, can you hear me? Pastor Kamlile, can you hear me? Okay. Um, hello, Pastor Kamlile. Pastor Kamlile, can you hear me? Okay, we have an issue here. He says it's putting him on hold. I don't understand this. I do not understand this. Uh, Okay, let's do this. I don't understand this. Draw, okay. Pastor Kamalire. All right, Noah. Mm, Yeah, these technical difficulties. Yeah. How is he calling in? Is he calling in directly? He's calling in directly, just like Dr. Mumba did and every guest does. That's what we do. Oh, we just I, go straight into the show. Are you, he are says he's putting him on hold. Pardon? Oh, maybe he can cancel and try again. Just text, text him to cancel and try again. What I've told is I've told him to call me instead so that I join him to the oh, line. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, we seem to be having some We're going to do a three-way. Okay. All right. Okay. We, we've solved the problem. Okay. Yeah. okay. Right. You're good now. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Excellent. All right. Uh, joining us from Lusaka, Zambia, is Pastor Kamolile Piri. Uh, I like to say accountant trendy preacher founder and senior pastor at Isaka Love Center, and he's the author of a very unique write-up where he connects. He sort of draws into the history of uh, Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement in Zambia. 
The title of the book is From Azusa to Zambia. Pastor Piri, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Pastor Nathan. It's a joy to be on the show. And uh, thank you so much to our listeners. All right. Let me begin by asking you this question. All right. Everybody, I want you to bear in mind that our the, the theme of our discussion today is the role uh-huh. of the clergy in national development. And everything that we'll be right. discussing will be, will be sort of hinging towards that theme. And uh, uh-huh. our colleague here, one of our pastors, our colleagues and regular contributors to this show, before you came on, he just made right. a statement and he said, every society cannot thrive at the exclusion of the church. So we'll be looking right. at things from that perspective. Now, Pastor Piri, uh, Merry Christmas right. to you. Uh, compliments of the season. We'll be, celebrating, Thank you. we'll be celebrating Christmas in four days. And Zambia will also be, be commemorating it's being declared a Christian nation on December 29th. So there's a lot of That's issues right. that we can talk about here. Let me throw this question to you before we bring right. it to, to our declaration. Where can we trace the rise of the Pentecost movement in Zambia? Uh, was it brought to us or we always had it? Well, it's a, a two-pronged a question because um, firstly there are what are known as the AICs what some people would refer to these the AICs the, I, the AICs are the African indigenous churches okay. and I think um, within this category mm-hmm. you would have um, the the Lumpa movement of uh, Alice Elenshina mm-hmm. uh, uh, you would have the Kimbanguist that came out of uh, the, now the DRC. You would have also some of the other flavors of um, uh, uh, coming out of uh, Zimbabwe and so on. But the question there, um, uh, a controversial question that is still going on for debate, as you know, mm-hmm. Nathan, is as to whether those could be considered strictly Pentecostal or not, whether they could mm-hmm. be you know, considered as cults or as mainstream Pentecostal. So that controversy is still on. However, where there is no controversy mm-hmm. is as to the orthodox Pentecostals. Now, when we say the orthodox Pentecostals, we're talking about the classical Pentecostals who have three things, three statements in their, uh, rather, three, three very solid statements Mm-hmm. in their statement of faith. Number one, the first statement is that they affirm and believe in the Lordship and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, okay. that salvation is only through Jesus. Number one, that's the orthodox. Number two, they believe in the supremacy of the Bible, that the Bible in its entirety um, and in exclusivity has you know, jurisdiction over all affairs, in life. And thirdly, and most importantly, to classical Pentecostals, or what you might even refer to as Orthodox Pentecostals, is the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And so, in a way, because of that controversy with um, uh, the first group, 
the AICs, it's a little bit difficult because even today, uh, people talk about, uh, you know, the, 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 the Lumpa movement with um, uh, Alice Lenshina. Lenshina, yes. And, um, yeah, as to be whether... So, really, there, there's a lot of controversy. So, we can't really, unfortunately, define that as Pentecostal. So, okay. then we'll move on to the Orthodox. The Orthodox, yes, that branch came out of the Azusa Street movement. Okay. Now, the interest... The interesting thing with uh, what has now happened with Pentecostals, as well as with the, the whole of the world Christian movement, is that uh, Christianity and its numbers have moved into the so-called global south. So the pews are this way. The numbers are in the south. The, the, uh, what has also happened with the pews moving to the south is that there is no longer a Eurocentric and American-centric kind of leadership. Mm. Leadership now within the Pentecostal churches. Uh, the Pentecostals are looking to themselves. You know, when we say polycentric, they, 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 they are um, more or less being governed, being sustained within their home nations and their home continents like Africa. That's, so in that, a, that, that, that's a very, let me stop you right there. That's a very important point that you have made right there. Now, let me take you right. back to something that you have said. You have categorically right. explained Orthodox Pentecostals, African indigenous right. uh, uh, churches. Isn't, right. isn't, Pastor Kamurile, isn't this uh -huh. in the debate of whether the African indigenous churches, whether they were cults or genuine uh -huh. churches, if we may say right. that, isn't that influence coming from the Eurocentric communities to try and undermine those churches? Well, in the, within that group, there were some um, of the AIC. Mm -hmm. Now we are thinking of people like um, up on the west coast of Africa. I believe there was a man called uh, Prophet Joshua years and years ago, at the turn, I believe, into coming into the 1900s. He had something that was very close to the orthodoxy. So on that score, uh, like you are saying, we can't really paint with a broad brush and say everything. But however, the Europeans did have a hand in uh, tagging some of these as cults. That is true. We do know that people like Joshua, where they were touted as cults because, uh, of course, of, uh, he was a polygamist. But by and large, the man stuck to the Bible, preached the Bible. They are a little bit more controversial uh, AICs, like, for instance, the Lumpa sect, and with their practices, you know, some of them, you know, uh, were a little bit absurd. Um, like, you know, the drinking of, of, of urine, et cetera, et cetera. But however, in their fundamental uh, beliefs, <clears throat> I think also uh, coming back to that Eurocentric, coming back to the European uh, missionary labeling these things, I think the early missionary was um, uh, maybe the best use, word we can use a little bit is naive. Uh, he was naive in thinking that everything, the African did was wrong, was barbaric, was pagan. For instance, the use of drums. Of course. You know, I, I mean, that. when he, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the use of ngom. I mean, he banned it. And uh, what instead did he bring? He brought the piano. He brought his instruments. He, he brought the pipe organ. Now, you can imagine a village in Lundazi, in Shangombo, using the pipe organ. So, to a large, yes, to a, to a certain extent, yeah, the Europeans did, uh, you know, kind of paint with a broad brush and put everyone within the couch when some of them really were not cows. All right. Now, let, do we, what information do we know? This? I want us to zero into the African indigenous ah. churches as we, our, our, our focus is the role of clergy or Christianity or churches in national development. What was the relationship of these churches, the African indigenous churches, with the government of the day. I know those were colonial days. What was their role in the community and with the government or ruling powers that were of that day? Generally, across Africa, whether it was the Kimbanguis movement, whether it was to do with um, Prophet Joshua, whether it was indeed even here in Zambia with mm-hmm. the, Lumpa, uh, the, 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 the Lumpa group of Alice Lenshina, there was always a tension. Firstly, with the colonial government, because okay. the colonial government saw these large gatherings of people as, of course, a potential threat um, to, their, to their hold on power, to their hold on governance. Uh, and if these indigenouses could arise by themselves and galvanize that kind of support, what, would, what could they do politically? Within a day, of course, they could overthrow uh, the colonial regimes. So the colonial regimes generally across Africa made it very difficult mm. for the AICs to thrive. And that is why the AICs uh, hardly built, you know, a lot of them didn't have buildings. A lot of them were meeting under trees. A lot of them were meeting in the open spaces. A lot of them were, had to meet in places where um, the eye of uh, the colonial master could not quite catch them. Uh, that was one thing. But there were times, again, when the colonial government would uh, kind of fall in love with them <clears throat> and use them for their own ends and means. Mm-hmm. Here, we can think of Pastor Nathan. Uh, there was, you know, some of these AICs were drawn into the, 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 the world wars uh, and, uh, because they were galvanizing points. And so the Europeans somehow could tell them, look, this is a good war. Uh, it's a world war, and we have to, you know, fight the Nazis or whoever. But by and large, in the main, there was a lot of tension. Now, come independence, mm-hmm. come independence now, the new regimes, the new independent regimes also did not really, on the whole, look at these AICs, as uh, potential partners, but again, there was a tension that continued. Mm-hmm. You remember even here in yes. Zambia, uh, beginning 1963, 62, that Lumpa incursion coming even after independence. Again, for various reasons, um, the government at that time, the UNIF government, thought that the Lumpa sect you know, posed a national danger. Now, as we talk about this, we must also remember the context. I think uh, bringing in context would also be very important yes. because we are talking about African national development and government. Now, these African nations, for instance, Zambia, 
Zambia only began to exist as Zambia in 1964. But as a geographical collection, and here, Nathan, I'm going to be very deliberate. As a geographical collection of kingdoms, they must have come together. You're looking back at about 1920, 21, 22, when you had the amalgamation of Northeast Rhodesia with Northwestern Rhodesia, when they were brought together. Now, why am I calling them an amalgamation amalgamation of nations? We had the Bemba Nation. We had the Barotse Nation. Mm -hmm. We had the Ngoni Nation. We had um, the Chichewa Nation. We had the Mambwe Nation. We had the Tumbuka nations, and so on and so forth. So really, each nation, like for instance, uh, the Ngonis, by Mm. themselves, they were a nation. The Bembas, by themselves, they were a nation. But when the colonialists came, he says, you are no longer nations, you are tribes. And that is where, you know, part of um, the itchiness and uh, the irritations we are going through began. Yeah. When that relegation was made, when the African was told, you are no longer a kingdom. For instance, we have a person like uh, King Gawawundi, who oversees 7 million people. Now, wow. 7 million people is no joke. Yeah. Those people yeah. are within Mozambique, Malawi, and the present-day Zambia. That is a nation by himself. That's a kingdom. But the British came and they said, no, no, you are a tribe. And they broke that particular uh, kingdom, for instance, of the Chewa, Gaba Undi. Part mm. of it went to Mozambique, part of it went to Nyasalan, and part of it came to Zambia. So when the new uh, independent nations were coming, they had to now bring these tribes together. And this is something that is sometimes forgotten uh, in the whole context of this history and all, the whole context in this narrative of the discussion. Yes. That's really... We were bringing together nations, and to make them hold and stick was going to be quite a a daunting task. Mm. So that's why with the new independent um, governments, the nationalist governments, they were looking at these AICs as potential threats. Because can you imagine if uh, Alice Renshina can manage to gather that kind of, of, of people with influence, and you are trying to build one Zambia, one nation. nation. You are thinking maybe she would, take, she would take away people from our nation and allegiance will go to her and will have tribes that are going that direction. So it must also be seen uh, in that light. There was also, within that context, as well, the reason why there was this friction between uh, the independent governments and the AICs. At the same time, a lot of these independent governments, you know, uh, Pastor Nathan and our listeners will remember. We were really in the 1960s, uh, the 1950s, when much of Africa was getting independent into the 1960s. There was a Cold War. The world was uh, in between the West for capitalism and the East for communism. And of course, the West, uh, we had the United States of America, the British, uh, the West Germans, etc. And on the Eastern side, we had the, the, the USSR, Soviet Union. And these two power blocks also wanted a lot of the mineral wealth within mm. the continent of Africa. And they, too, were sponsoring. In fact, um, 
different, in fact, this is right there out in the open. They were sponsoring different factions within these, you know, new nations. And this was causing even further tension. And that is why a lot of the newly independent uh, governments were not kind to any kind of uh, resistance or any kind of opposition from any group. Mm. And hence, the AICs, you know, faced a lot and a lot of opposition from governments. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It's, it's amazing that before, when we were waiting for you to call in and to get yourself uh, set up to call in, uh-huh. uh, one of, uh, uh, Alan has dropped. Noah, do, do you see what he's saying and how similar it is to Native Americans and what the British did? Do you see the similarities? Oh, yeah, the similarity is very, very, very apparent. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm I glad Dr. Good. Patrick is with us this morning. He's going to chip in at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Pastor Kamalile Piri. He's the author of From Azusa to Zambia and the senior pastor and founder at uh, Isaka Love Center in Osaka. Our topic today is the role of clergy in national development, and we just had a historical background of uh, I'm particularly looking at the Pentecostal movement, or what somebody may call evangelicals. Kamurile, did, yes, did the, I'm now jumping over many years, did right. the, the government, did, uh-huh. the, did the Frederick Chilugas realize, uh-huh. like the colonial masters looked at these huge gatherings, did the Frederick Chilugas uh-huh. look at that and say, this Pentecostal movement, this evangelical, if you want to call it that way, this is a, right. this is a strong, this is a rich, this is a, some sort of a huge voting block we can tap in. Declare the Christian nation. Uh-huh. I, obviously, and again there, yes, that is brilliant. Um, you remember that Dr. Chiroba himself, mm-hmm. I think before he became president in 1983, he himself, you know, became a born again Christian in prison. He had that uh, dramatic uh, experience. Now, he was uh, quite astute, whether again by divine uh, providence or whether by his political astuteness, he stayed within the mm-hmm. United Church of Zambia even though he was a born-again and, and later a tongue-talking Pentecostal believer. So he's what we might call a charismatic, a charismatic somebody who yes. believes in the gifts of the Spirit but stays in their mainline churches. So Dr. Chiluva stayed in the UCZ but was, um, had strong relationships with the people in the Pentecostal movement. And then he began to see the rise of the Pentecostals. I think one thing that must be given to the late uh, Dr. Chiluba, mm-hmm. was that uh, he had a natural eye. Uh, he had a sensitivity. Maybe some people might call it a sixth sense. I don't know. But whether you love him, whether you hate him, mm-hmm. whether you love him or hate him, this is something that can never be taken away from him. So he saw, in my opinion, the power of the Pentecostals, mm-hmm. the rise of the Pentecostals, who just as early as 1970, were really a non-entity. Their numbers were very low. But when their revival began in the 1970s, and when it peaked, really, 
by mid-1995. Their numbers were there to reckon with. And so I think early on, he must have seen it, that this was a good and a huge voting block. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing about Pentecostals is that they moved from being very non-political uh, you know, remember those days when uh, in the 1970s when the born agains were coming, the Pentecostals were coming, uh, it was anathema. Mm-hmm. It was taboo to join politics. It was yes. anathema, taboo yes. to be in business. But however, with, uh, which we're going to talk about at some point, I think, um, the place of North Mid Assemblies of God Church, uh, Bishop Israel Chelewa, uh, General Godfrey Mianda, mm-hmm. uh, Ambassador Otema Musuka, Bambita uh, Kabalika, and others, Bawaliamelu, of course, some people like that, prominent Pentecostals who now saw that mm, enough is enough because uh, the UNIP government had, uh, by that time, seemed to be insensitive to the cause of the people. The economy was on its knees and, uh, uh, and everything else. But the biggest thing was that Maharishi movement, yes. the Eastern mysticism. And Pentecostals, uh, classical Pentecostals, anything that is seemingly coming out of the first book of Kings, the second book of Kings and uh, Chronicles and some of that has to do with idolatry and witchcraft and such things, then you have them on some course. So yes, Dr. Chiluva foresaw and began to see that the Pentecostals were a huge force. And then, of course, Nathan, and our wonderful listeners, you remember that in 1991, the UNIP government did not uh, really entertain the Pentecostals. They found it very difficult, the independent churches, to register, first of all. Even the mainline classical Pentecostals found it very difficult to operate. But with the declaration and the Dr. Chiruva's open and very visible encouragement of Pentecostalism, we have mm. seen the rise of the Pentecostal Church. To this day, uh, as of 2010, uh, the 2010 census uh, records that 95% of Zambians at 2010 suggested or said they were Christian. They said they were Christian, 95%. That time the population was about 13 million. Mm. Now, Operation World have gone further. And you remember Operation World are from there, from Colorado Spring. Colorado Spring. Operation World have gone further and they have seen that out of that 13 million people, 3.4 million people as of 2010, mm-hmm. 3.414 million or 25.8% of the population was Pentecostal. 25.8. Now, another, go ahead, go ahead. Uh-huh. Another 3.4 million just under the Pentecostal were the evangelicals. So by 2010, the evangelicals and Pentecostals, Pentecostals are 25.8, evangelicals are 25.7. By 2010, by 2010, the Pentecostals and evangelicals were 51.5% of this population. Before I let you in, uh, Nathan, so this is something that Dr. Chiruba foresaw, and the church was great. But within also, the other percentage, now, of course, we have 20.2% who are Roman Catholic. Then the balance, you know, uh, so if you have 51% plus uh, 202 you are getting to somewhere 71, uh, mm. 
So out of that 95%, when you remove 72%, the balance of the 23% are now the Protestants, the Methodists, the United Church of Zambia, the Presbyterians. Now, this is the point I'm coming to. The, the Pentecostal influence is even within the mainline churches. They are also charismatics. I mean, it's amazing when you attend some of these Catholic masses, mm-hmm. when you attend some of the Anglican uh, services, you, if you are a Pentecostal, you will feel so much at home. So even the thinking in a lot of the mainline churches is Pentecostal, mm-hmm. is charismatic. And so I think, this is my opinion, I think Dr. Chiluba was uh, very perceiving. I think he was astute in foreseeing the rise of uh, the Pentecostal block as a block in which you can tap into votes. And uh, like I was saying, if you speak their language, if you do what they want you to do, you are their man. They won't see anything wrong with you. Now, here is the issue that a lot of people, the population has uh, with this right. declaration of Zambia as a Christian nation, Kamurile, it was more divisive than it was unifying. Even from right. amongst the Christian circles, people were a little, gotcha. not a little bit, there was a lot of skepticism and the emphasis was it was a political ploy. It had nothing to do with what it really sounded. How do you respond to that? I mean, even today, right. you have a situation yeah. where certain circles, I don't know if the Catholics participate in the National Day of Prayer. That's something we're going to talk about. Right. Right. Indeed, there are three schools of thought around um, the declaration of Zambia as a Christian nation. Yes. The first school of thought is that one that you have raised. Now, this is even within, you know, Christian circles. Mm -hmm. The first uh, school of thought is the one you have raised that, you know, this was really a political ploy, something that was meant to divert the people's uh, attention from the issues. That is the first school of thought. That, mm-hmm. And these are people also who believe within the evangelical and Pentecostal circles, some of them believe that no nation can come into covenant, uh, covenant with God. That in this New Testament, it is the individual who mm-hmm. comes into a covenant with Jehovah with God. God. Yes. So they, 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 they are grouped together with uh, the skeptics, the cynics who believe, well, this is like Marx used to say, to opiate the masses. That is the first school of thought. The second school of thought, again within the church, are those who believe that the declaration of Zambia as a Christian nation is all about Christian values, that we want Christian ethos in, in our society. Mm-hmm. The way Japan is Buddhist and uh, the way they have Buddhist ethos within their society. So it's really values and morals that are Christian. That is the second school of thought. Now, the third school of thought is the one that says, no, 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 no. Zambia as a nation can come into covenant with the God of Israel the same way the nation of Israel came into covenant with God, beginning with Abraham. Now, Part of this whole debate, I'll take you back to context. Mm. At the time, 29th of December, 1991, on the steps of State House, at that time, 1991, the leaders 
within the church. And when I speak here as the church, I include uh, the Roman Catholics. I include uh, uh, the, the churches, the Christian churches of Zambia. I include the Evangelical Fellowship and anyone else, you know, who would consider themselves Christian, whether born again or not. Mm. In 1991, the Pentecostals and Charismatics were not at the helm or were not in the leadership no. of the church as it were. So that is a major factor. They were nowhere. And remember that when the Pentecostal churches started, they were considered, you know, churches for boys and for little girls. You know, these are non-entities. These are just kids who are in secondary school, kids who are in primary school, at best kids who are in tertiary. And you remember those days, uh, the born-again churches, so-called. I think the oldest person in the congregation might be 31 or 33. <laughs> so these were young men in the 1970s and 80s. But now, come 1991, they've begun to grow up. They are now coming into government. Mm. So for the rest of the church, the Roman Catholics, the, the ZCCB, um, the CCZ, and indeed, even at that time, the EFZ, they said, no, 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 no. These are a minority. We were not consulted. They did not come to tell us about this thing that they are going to do. And that, within the context, is how a lot of this argument, you know, started. But also, with time, those young men that were little boys uh, are now grown-ups. And when you look across the Zambian landscape today, whether you look in, uh, across the, the churches, uh, the CCZ, whether you look into ZCCB, whether you look into EFZ, who are the people now at the helm? Who are the majority now? It's those young people. They are now carrying this agenda of a Christian nation. So today, there is still a bit of debate and argument, but it's not as much as it was then. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Pastor Kamulile Piri here. Our subject is the role of clergy in national devil. Kamulile, I have a yes, challenge in, in, my, in my reasoning, okay? You've given yes, very powerful, good statistics. 25.8 Pentecostals, 20.7 right. Evangelicals. Um, the problem I'm having when we begin to zero into our subject of national development I see, I see the Salvation Army doing something which this Pentecostal movement is not doing. I see the right. Catholics have done something the Pentecostal movement has not done. I'm sure right. everybody listening, you probably already know where I'm going with this. I see Salvation right. Army building hospitals, clinics, schools. Right. The Catholics. Correct. The Catholics, let's not even go there. They are, they are champions of this area. So That's why right. haven't the Pentecostals, in spite of the numbers you have given, they have nothing to point to? That's right. They, they, now we're talking about the areas of um, the social gospel. You know, we're yeah. talking about, like, like you're saying, the, the social gospel. We, we need to see the clinics. We need to see the schools. Uh -huh. We need to see all of this infrastructure that um, that is tangible that can impact the community and that is an argument that is um, reasonable on the ground but as we're looking at that argument let's just remember where the pentecostals are coming from as indeed in every revival uh, pentecostals have always come from number one 
the people on the fringes, the peripheries of society. Here we're talking about the poor. Here we're talking about people who are mostly illiterate. Here we're talking about, in short, people that just do not have the financial capacity and the financial resource. Look across, even today, yeah. the Zambian landscape. Where are most of the Pentecostal churches meeting? They are meeting in classrooms. They are meeting under a tree. They are meeting in a rented facility, maybe a rented beer hall, a rented council hall, rented facility. That already tells us that these uh, particular individual characters do not have the financial capacity. They may have the numbers, but they do not have the financial capacity as these others do. However, what is beginning to happen uh, within Zambia? I think we've seen Pentecostal churches rising to the occasion. I think you can name them, North Mid Assemblies of God, a wonderful work that they are doing within the community. Bread of Life Church International, wonderful work that they are doing in the community. They have a university, they have a clinic, uh, they have all of these things. There is uh, also Deliverance Church. We can go on Grace Ministries, go on and on and on. So slowly and surely, this aspect of the, the social aspect of coming into health, coming into education, is also catching on with the Pentecostal. But like I said, one of his biggest um, uh, uh, bands around his arms, he mm. is bound, he is, it's like he's, he's handcuffed. One of the handcuffs is the financial resource. Now, the question, Nathan, might be, why don't all of these characters who are meeting in the classrooms, who are meeting in town halls, you know, why don't they come together and form larger assemblies that might have a little bit more uh, financial resource because now you're going to use the economies of scale? Now, mm. that is absolutely another topic to talk about. Well, somebody, <laughs> somebody, somebody, is, somebody just sent me a message and they are saying, Pastor Kamurile, the bishops are driving Range Rovers and Mercedes-Benz. What are you talking about? Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. That will always be a thorny question. And that will always be a sticky question. Mm. And I think the way we can look at it is uh, maybe we can look at it this way. With anything that happens, you will have uh, the genuine you also have the counterfeit. And I think uh, even the Lord Jesus himself, mm -hmm. in talking about the last days, he was saying, look out. You know, there'll be false prophets. People will arise in my name. The Apostle Paul does the same. So really, that should not shock us, but that should really point us to the fact that Scripture is true, and that should be a reminder as to the absoluteness of the Bible that you, you, you can count on it. Because if the Bible can prophesy such things and we are seeing them, then let's believe the Bible, that it's a good book. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah okay. If, I, if I can jump in briefly here. This is okay, not... come in, Noah. Although, by the way, before yeah. Noah speaks, everybody, those of you that have called in, if you have a question right. or comment for Pastor Piri here, Please press one on your phone keypad so that I know that you want to say something. I don't want to put people on the spot. I have a lot of things to discuss with this man. Uh, Noah, please, <laughs> please go ahead. Yeah, so thank you, Pastor, for coming on to the show. 
Yeah, so I think I'll be brief right. and direct to the point. So I think like right. when you look at the Christian movement or the Pentecostal movement or the church in Zambia in particular, I think the church has failed right. when it comes to national development. That's point number one. Right. I think we can steal a right. page from the nation of Islam. So I think the in the nation right. of Islam, the, one of the founders was the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So every time right. when I look at what is happening in the Zambian churches, I think they, they mm-hmm. all miss the point. So I think right. when you look at the churches, they have the funds. So I think to your point, when you, where you're saying, no, people are meeting in different uh, places, they may not have the resources. I think that's, I'll strike that one to be, I think, a little bit incorrect. Because in the nation right. of Islam, Elijah Muhammad realized uh-huh. a long time ago that if you have to effect development and change the taste of the African people in general, you have mm. to be able to have a system of or doing things. Uh-huh. Number one, the, the nation of Islam uh-huh. is, realized that you have to have people dressing in a certain way. That takes them away from uh-huh. putting their money in other sectors. And number two, you have to control right. what they eat. When you control what people eat, which means there's a, pro- a system of production. So mm. if you say, hey, right. we don't eat pork, therefore we will be eating, right. let's say, I mean, the other stuff. So you have a system of production, and by that you have a system of economic development in a sector. That infuses right. some sort right. of funds in the economy. So when you look at the African or the Zambian church in this case, I think the Zambian church has failed in national development, and I, I don't, I, I don't want to take uh-huh. a lot of time. I was just making a, con- a right. comparison or contrast mm. with the nation of Islam. The nation of Islam got it right. right. When you look at the people in the Middle East, they don't dress up in these suits right. and all this nonsense. They dress up in their own attire right. because they don't want people to be wasting money on buying Gucci or whatever nonsense is out there. Because people have, when you buy certain things, which means you control what people are going to be spending their money on. Right. But when you look at most of these evangelical Pentecostal churches, they have planes, they have that, right. and this and that. But the regular member of the church has nothing. So I think when it comes to national development, right. which is the topic for today, the Zambian evangelical or the right. Zambian Pentecostal has failed the, 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 the nation. I'll end there for now. All right. Right. Can, can, can I just respond there um, a few points? Go ahead. Um, number one, we must understand that Pentecostals are not monocentric. Uh, in other words, there is no single center of power. It is not like the guy that meets in the classroom is, for instance, uh, you know, answerable to Pastor Kamulile Piri. No. So you have a majority of the, that, that, that's the first thing. So, so we have a governance system where you have a lot and a lot and in the thousands, if not the millions of these gatherings. Mm-hmm. So secondly, also, is the aspect of how much is actually being brought into those coffers. How much are they actually making? You know, as that little gathering of is it 50 people, 60 people, or sometimes even 12 people. And so having said that, we must now also look on the other side of the whole Pentecostal. You know, because when you say Pentecostal, we are grouping the huge churches here like uh, 
the Pentecostal Assemblies of God, together with um, Nainenashala Neka Ministries, for instance, who meet <laughs> under a tree. And uh, there are only four of, and five of them who are in the vast majority. But what we are saying is that slowly, these bigger uh, denominations, the mm. bigger ministries, are now moving into areas of social justice. They are now moving into areas of building clinics, building schools, having more of a tangible voice and changing people's thinking. And I like your point about uh, the NOI, the Nation of Islam, because the thing that is also needed to be done is a change in thinking. And mm -hmm. that is something that uh, I'd love us to, to get into, because yes, what is yes. the message? What is the message of the guy in the classroom? What does he normally preach? What, what is his message? What, what is his theme? What is his general philosophy? When we understand that, <clears throat> then we can, you know, partly understand of what's happening, as, of course, with the uh, understanding the context on the ground to do with uh, unemployment levels, to do with... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the joblessness, to do with uh, the other social vices that are going on, and uh, the, the, the fear of witchcraft, the fear of wizardry. And, and, and so it's a little bit more complex than, the, the, than, you know, just saying one plus one is equal to two. It's something that might need, at first, like a surgeon, removing uh, bits of the cancer very delicately and very intricately to deal with the very root cause. Okay, yeah. come just right there. If somebody else wants to come in, please let me know. Press one on your phone keypad. Dr. Patrick, your mic is open. You can always jump in. Uh, just right there, Kamurile, you pointed to a very key point here. Uh, like right. Noah's clearly said, I, I want us really to hit this thing of national development. Because what I That's see right. is a group of people who are so politically inclined they don't think right. they don't think investment, they don't think development. Uh -huh. they are, you have a bunch uh -huh. of Christians who are behaving like typical cadres. So the message right. what has happened to the message? Because I can see that most people in the church in Africa or in Zambia in particular, they don't think investment. You you if you want to use an economic or a, a, another business term, you can say they are basically on the consumer end of things. Correct. Yeah, you know, you know we, we, within the global context, uh, something uh, very sad is beginning to happen, and this is a polarization. Mm. And I think globally we've seen it uh, right there in the U.S. We are seeing it in England. We saw it in France where after an election, you know, the yellow vest came out, etc. So there's a general polarization. Now, when we come to Africa, it's even worse. Mm. The political polarization in Africa is toxic. Uh, maybe that's the best term we can use. Now, for you not to be caught up in the toxicity, you need to, this is what I was now beginning to say that we can begin to talk about, you need to come to a thinking of the gospel that is really Jesus. Mm. Now, what do I mean by that? A thinking of the gospel that is really Jesus. Jesus came to set the captive free. Yes. When, there were, when there were people who were hungry, he fed them. He opened the blind eyes. He did all of those things. So not only was he setting our souls and our spirits free, mm. but he was now moving into the realm of our thinking, 
He was moving into the realm of what we see, our felt needs, uh, in other words. And this is where now we need to, um, I I hate to use the word chaperone, but this is where we need to direct the narrative of the Pentecostal, his message, Mm. to begin talking now more about empowering the people economically. What opportunities are there in Zambia? What opportunities are there in Africa? Because, uh, you know, our listeners will know witchcraft is a huge thing in Africa. You know, if, uh, you know, I'm sorry, if they just call you a witch and a wizard, you are finished. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> it will take you a long time to remove that tag. So we've got to start getting the thinking away from the fact that if I start doing business, my, I'll be bewitched by my relatives or my uncle will come and uh, he'll do something. We've got to get the, the, the thinking away from that and the thinking into a triumphant Jesus, that when you have Jesus in your heart, it doesn't matter who can come against you, you can win. And you can invest, therefore you can invest, for instance, in a patch of tomatoes, mm-hmm. you can grow your tomatoes, you can grow your maize, and then you can move up to value addition. Why don't you make tomato paste? Why don't you make peanut butter? But it starts off with changing the mentality, changing the thinking. And this is where the larger Pentecostal churches are gladly doing it. Like I mentioned already, I mean, I'll mention the Bread of Life, the uh, POAGs, the um, etc., the Grace Ministry. There's a whole plethora of them. There's so many of them that are doing that. But for the vast majority, we've got to change the narrative for them. Because you see, my pastor, the guy who's looking after 13 guys under a tree, he's yeah. just thinking of, you know, his next meal. And how am I going to make it? So maybe, let, let, let me, these guys know that there are so many witches and wizards, wizards so let me do deliverance sessions for the next three months. And that's all they are doing, you know, and at the expense of productivity. But if we had to change the narrative, we have to change the message and begin to let them to see the triumphant Jesus, the Jesus who comes in and feeds the 5,000, and begin to repeat that message. Now, unfortunately, this is it. Change does not happen overnight. Of course. The voices have started, but it's got to be a little bit more, a little bit more until, you know, you hit the critical mass, until you gain the momentum, and, and then rapidly, I think, then you can see a more rapid change. Kamulile, don't you think part of the challenge has been uh, where we are in Africa, or in Zambia for that matter, we have not encouraged. I mean, you yourself said it at the beginning that there were certain things we looked at uh, as not being biblical. And one of the things I really want us to emphasize here is don't you think this thing of where the pastor or the spiritual leader or the leader of a small church or ministry is just looking to where uh-huh. his ne- next meal is going to be. Don't you think the concept of bivocational ministry is something that we haven't pushed in our nation? That's one angle. Uh, agreed. Bivocational, yeah, because, I mean, you're supposed to live by faith. Uh, what are you doing in a job? You know, I mean, uh, what are you doing with a business? <laughs> you're supposed to be living by faith and, you know, but, going up the mountain. But you're and uh, when you're on the mountain, Yes, exactly. So we, 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 we agree. That, that's a point we also have to begin to change. Uh, 
And we also have to change this whole narrative. Like, remember what I've been saying, our context. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest fear, uh, or one of the biggest fears of the African? Witchcraft. You know, I mean, why is it that you have so many people go to a funeral that mm-hmm. don't even know the person they are burying? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. They don't even know this person. I mean, this is a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a relative of a relative, and the, the list goes on. It is because yeah, Africans are spiritual beings. And yes, as yes, spiritual beings, there is a fear that if you do not appease whatever mm. is in the spiritual realm, you will end up in misery. This is why a lot of the uh, so-called, uh, I call them so-called, because a lot of them are not even Pentecostal. These are just charlatans. They are pseudo, these are, you know, sangomas, the glorified sangomas. That's what they are. Uh, That's why they're doing all of these deliverance things and people vomiting left, right, and center. There is a place to vomit, but I mean, you don't do it every day, you know? So that we must understand. And that is the narrative now, which I am saying, and I think we really need to push the triumphant Mm -hmm. Jesus, that Jesus triumphs. Mm -hmm. And because Jesus has triumphed in you, you have the ability over any force of darkness. So when you go to the market, as a marketeer, and uh, you've set up your tomatoes, you're surrounded by other women that have got tomatoes, even if they do enchantment, they do whatever, it won't bring you down. Mm. Secondly, we have also, you know, what some people call the black tax, the so-called black tax, you know, because we are communal people. Uh, Nathan, your wealth is not just for yourself. In fact, to go, Michael, you know, good diaspora, where you are in the diaspora, I know we are looking to you in Zambia here for so many needs. So that is another thing. Mm-hmm. We have this communal spread where if I come an individual makes it, then the whole of my clan, if not the whole of my tribe, is on me. You know, and if I don't uh, dole out money, then I'm in problems. So those are some of the other things we, begin, we need to begin to work at through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, look, uh, it's for your own good that you prosper, that you do well, that you succeed academically, you succeed professionally, you succeed in business, you succeed in all of these other areas. So that now you can also begin helping your relatives not only think your way, but empower them as well. And, of course, there's a lot of other things we can talk about there. But for me, those are the two main subjects that I think the church, as we look at national development, needs to tackle. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Pastor Kamalile Piri here. Uh, our topic is the role of clergy in uh, national development. And when we started this discussion, I mentioned and we drew some parallels and some similarities between ah. the American situation uh, as far as the role of the church here, it's a called evangelicals and what is pertaining down on the ground in in Africa. Uh, we, we're going to draw some comparison here. Dr. Patrick is with us, and uh, I'd also like him to mention uh, some things to do with the uh, African-American community and how the church has uh, emancipated itself. Uh, you, the people that have called in, uh, Derek, Dr. Monsanje, Raj Sebwe, uh, any comment, any question for Dr. Piri before I move on to the, the three schools of thought that you discussed on the 
declaration of Zambia as a Christian nation. I want us to zero into something here. Uh, any comment, anybody? Derek, good morning, and uh, Dr. Monsanje. You heard what he has said. Good morning, Good morning, good morning, good morning. You heard what he has said. So any comment, anybody, any question? Vanessa, uh, uh, good morning. This is Daniel Tsebwe uh, from Pennsylvania. Uh, Go ahead. I yes, joined you. Uh, very good uh, discussion, and uh, thank you, uh, Pastor, for joining us and uh, giving us uh, the Pentecost history. I really, I really enjoyed it. I hope you come back again and uh, uh, give us this history. Right, thank you. Uh, I joined it later, but he, is, uh, he's, 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 he has brought something that uh, we should uh, credit to Dr. Chiruba, just like uh, he, he said, uh, you know, about the Pentecost and what Chiruba saw in in, right. in the way the Pentecost was moving in, in that time. And mm. uh, to her on top right. of that, and then when, when Dr. Chiruba came in as a, as a president, the way he did it with uh, the economy, uh, for mm-hmm. me, I'll never forget, right. I'll never forget the, the, the way he reached out to the diaspora when uh, right. uh, when he created that uh, uh, investment thing, and uh, you know that one, I always uh, uh, give him credit. Uh, that, that was that was something for him to reach out to the poorest of the poorest in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And right. The same thing you saw in in the church right. and the Pentecost. The, the way the Pentecost right. was moving that time, it made me to attend the Pentecost. And come back to America, raise a little bit of money so I can send the instruments back to uh, to Zambia. Right. But I I don't have the same feeling about the way things are going right. today. So thank you, Pastor, for joining us. Uh, great conversation. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm encouraged. Anybody else? Yeah. No, this is no again. I think uh, the pastor is very much right. I think witchcraft plays a very, very huge role in in the African circles because I think when you look at the West, it's something that I think when you read the 18th, 17th century when witches were being banned from the, I mean, it was altar in those days. But I think in Africa, that's a very, very, uh, very great Uh impediment development and I think maybe as the clergy has to figure out a way I know most of the pastors because even here we bring in people coming from Zambia uh-huh. to pray and offer deliver the prayers and things like that so I think right. the, the spiritual uh, uh, the spirituality with African people is something which is very very real and I, I'm just happy that you pointed uh-huh. it out because it's something that we have right. to address and figure out how do we, South Africans, overcome this. Because, of course, when you look at the, ch- right. the bigger churches in Nigeria and the other places, the time uh-huh. that comes uh-huh. in or the offering, that's even more than the uh-huh. national budget for some of these countries. So not only in, yeah. in, in Nigeria, but the, 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 it's billions of dollars, I mean, that comes in. But right. you find that the churches cannot even construct the road that leads to the church. And there's all mm. kinds of poverty <laughs> in these communities. But the church yeah. has all these funds, billions coming in, but they look to the government and say, no, it's the government's responsibility. So I think when we're looking at national development, 
we have to look at the funds that come in. How does the church play a very significant role? But I could, it's not necessarily a lack of resources in some areas. Of course, in some mm. leads that right. billions of offerings, I mean, people flock into right. I mean, these different parts of Africa to be prayed for. And they, they, is that economic yeah. power, people flying in, I mean, staying at hotels and that little injection of funds that is put in the economy. But I think, I just wanted to thank you right. for bringing up the issue of witchcraft. Wow, thank you. Mm. Excellent. Um, first, let, 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 let's transition here. I, I want us to transition yes, here. I think there's a lot of uh, mindset uh, transformation that needs to take place, and I'm going to say this, that it has to begin with uh, the leadership itself. When I say leadership, I'm not talking about Absolutely. political. I'm talking about the Christian leadership itself. So Absolutely. you gave three schools of thought on the declaration of Zambia as a, as a Christian nation. Political ploy, Christian values or ethos, Zambia and to convert with God. So let's look at the second one, Christian ethos. Uh, a Christian nation as a, uh, legalized or allowed the growing of marijuana. How uh, has the church responded to that? <laughs> well, it, it, that, that's a good one. Um, it's a hot one. That, uh, in fact, of course, uh, you remember that um, this conversation over marijuana legalized uh, to legalize marijuana, especially for medicinal use, yes. has been in the public narrative. And I think it's Mr. Sinkamba, Sinkamba uh, of the Green Party, that uh, really for years and years and years has been pushing this. Now, where we stand uh, today, so it's been there in the, in the narrative, but now that, you know, we are getting to a point where it's being legalized, mm -hmm. um, the church is yet as, uh, you know, for, for, to the best of my knowledge, I, I might be corrected here, but I do not know if EFZ as Evangelical Fellowship of Zambia have made a statement. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. You see, no. this is the other problem. This is the other problem, Pastor Kamulile. Why uh -huh. do we take so long to respond to? You know, I don't know. Maybe somebody will differ with me and say they need time to process and make a credible statement. Why do we take so long to to respond to important things like this? Um, remember, our context: we are Africans. Africans uh, have to sit down and have to consult. Uh, you remember in the, in the traditional context, before you bury somebody, you have to wait for some, you know, for some uncle, some uh, granny to appear from there to make a decision. Because if you do it without them, uh, the spirits will not be too happy with you. So we are Africans. That is... <laughs> that, that is... I, 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 okay, I, I, I think he, he needs to go back in again. Uh, we are Africans, eh? Uh, but Derek, Dr. Monsanje, I like this. He's making me feel... <laughs> okay, he's going back. <laughs> yeah, the line dropped, sorry. Yeah, continue, Pastor. Yeah. 
So I was saying, I cannot speak for the EFZ. I don't think I'm privy to what's going on there, nor mm. am I qualified. But however, uh, in general, yes, that's something about the African. We're a little bit slow, and in particular the Zambian, uh, we're a little bit slow. But thinking about marijuana, generally on the, uh, on the street with the pastors I've interacted with, mm-hmm. uh, the leaders of churches that I've interacted with, it is something that is still being addressed with a lot of caution. And again, it's been polarized. Uh, we have two very opposing groups because I think what needs to be explained in full uh-huh. is how this cultivation will be controlled, who will control it, where will it be controlled. In other words, what, uh, what is the accountability? What's the transparency? What, what's the, what are the steps around about it? If that is more fully explained, then probably I do give up. But otherwise, uh, I mean, I think it will give a lot of our people, uh, that is the perception on the ground now, I'm saying. A lot of our people think, well, this is something that we can get into and uh, move our people out of peasantry and maybe into commercial farmers. Kamurile, Kamurile, <laughs> right there is, personally, that's my concern. We do not have right. a strong system of accountability and transparency. We have no respect for the rule of law. How can we manage something like this? <laughs> you can't manage something like this when you can't control some clerk at the Ministry of Lands or wherever from collecting a little few things. If you want to get your driver's license or something done to your... The, 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 the system cannot handle transparency and accountability issues. To introduce something like this? I think, um, again, I mean, I think this is one of the areas where perhaps we might be um, a little bit unfair if we painted with a broad brush. Uh Maybe we could say, yes, there are areas of concern. And I believe, um, like everyone else, uh, there's lots of areas of concern. However, on the flip side of the coin, uh, there are some steps being taken Mm. to have more transparency especially in key government departments. I think we've seen it with uh, the passport. We've seen it at PACRA. And uh, like we were saying, when you have had a system that is really a behemoth that has been there for the longest of time to begin to change the mindset and to begin to remove the cancer Mm -hmm. is not an overnight thing. And I think, yeah, and I think perhaps... You know, here, again, there are differences of opinions, differences of perceptions. But I think um, some noises are being made, some steps are being made to unlock and to make the system more transparent. I think you've been following this uh, argument on the, um, uh, the e-government, for instance, in, in concerning um, the vouchers for the farmers, the, the e-vouchers mm-hmm. for the farmers. Uh, that's, it's had its own hiccups because maybe a civil servant somewhere feels that uh, they're going to be cut off. Uh, you know, they won't be able to get some money. So, you know, hijack the system and just make the system not work. Or even on salaries, ghost workers. But we are seeing there might be little steps. There might be small steps, but maybe let's watch and see if this, like Chairman Mao said, a journey of a thousand miles. Begins with the first step. Let's go far. <laughs> okay, okay. 
like, okay, now anybody who wants to say something, I'll just be throwing at things at you now. I want you to respond to this. Okay, the issue of American Ambassador Forte responding to right. the gay, the two guys being uh, imprisoned for 15 years. Look, for me, right. the issue of gay homosexuality in Zambia is not debatable for one reason. It's in the Constitution. Okay? Right. When something right. is in the Constitution, for me, it doesn't, it's not debatable. My point is here, the argument is, I was almost shocked to see how almost every, uh-huh. every pastor was willing to come up and stand with the president. We are not gays. We are not gays. I've never heard these uh-huh. pastors say corruption, corruption. Right. You see my yeah, argument? Yeah, that, that, yes, I, I see your argument. <laughs> Again, you know, let's come back to context. Mm-hmm. Um, let, 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 let's come back to the Zambian context. The Zambian context, first of all, within the church, the church has very strong, a very strong Bible stand on that one, that sodomy is out. I mean, that's an abomination that is terrible. Now, you, you have to understand, that's what I'm saying, to give that background for the understanding. Romans chapter 1, when it talks about, you know, women, you know, sleeping with women, men sleeping with men, and etc. that that is abominable. So you've got to look at it from that context, that this is an abomination. Nathan, we've got to understand that in this context, what uh, happened with Ambassador Foote making that statement mm-hmm. was like walking into Mecca, Saudi Arabia, right into Mecca, <laughs> not even Medina, but walking into Mecca, Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, and saying, look, guys, uh, King, uh, you might have, you know, you've got problems with maybe human rights here, here but you must start selling um, pigs. You know, you, you, you must start selling pork. Now, obviously in that context, whatever else you might say mm. is thrown out the window. Because that is an abomination. How dare you mm. talk about pork to us? You know, it, it is, it will, now you've hit a raw nerve. Like the Ghanaians say, mm. you, can push a person, you, you can push a person so much to the world that even the dumb will speak. So it's at that place now. <laughs> so it is this understanding that within the culture, it's an abomination. Now, within the culture, again, sex is not something you talk about in public in Africa. We don't talk about sexuality. You know, in public, uh, we know that you know, in the West, especially with Hollywood, uh, the, the society has become so sex conscious, you know, the, my computer is sexy, my wife, you know, in Africa, we just don't do that. Those, that is a very sacred word that is left for the confines of a bedroom. So to make that now a public statement, especially with an abomination like that, I'm giving the context, yes. uh, to make a statement like that, with an abomination like that, where in Africa you don't discuss sex, you just do it. And it's for procreation, you know. And so to bring that about, oh, I'm telling you, you, you expect everything, a ton of bricks will fall on you. And perhaps what we might even be surprised at, Nathan, is how even quiet this uh, so-called response has been. Because mm-hmm. what has been in the media is just maybe a little. But, you know, when you talk to people within the compound, yeah. Uh, and whatever. I mean, 
it, it, it's it, it's something that you, you know you just don't think about. How dare he? You know how dare he talk about us in that fashion in that manner? So that is the context. Okay. Moving on to that. Mm. Uh-huh. Moving with the context, we must also understand that um, in Africa, especially at present, I think when President Obama visited Kenya yes. and um, he did bring that issue up, and uh, President Kenyatta's response was, look, uh, in Africa and here in Kenya, he was specific to Kenya, but we can generalize yeah. for Africa. In Africa, that is not an issue. This is a cultural issue for the West. It is not a cultural issue for the rest of the world. It is not practiced in the rest of the world. Africa is battling with poverty. Africa is battling with drought. And so there's also that understanding of that uh, context. But the first two that I mentioned, about it being an abomination, and the second, about that sex you don't discuss in public. You, you, you just don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you 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 are a true Zambian. You are making me feel more Zambian. <laughs> um, here, 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 here is the thing. The the the, the issue is that uh, somebody somebody said to me, "Look, the the church, of course, will jump on something that is easy to deal with." Okay than uh-huh. a controversial right. issue. You don't want to be seen to seem to be anti-government when you begin to address uh, Because you can't be stealing from the poor. That's wrong, stealing from God. We had a Zimbabwean on this show last weekend, and he said the government loses more revenue to corruption than to anything else. <laughs> right. co- co- corruption across Africa. Uh-huh. Is something that uh, is a cancer. Is yes. something that needs to be dealt with. Is something that you know uh, just needs to be taken out of our society. And I think it would take a major overhaul. It would take uh, more than just uh, perhaps uh, talking about it. Uh, you know, now here I'm talking about even just from a grassroots right up to the top political level. However, I also wanted to bring in this uh, perspective mm. that when you think about what Ambassador Foot said he was also stepping into an area where remember the current crop of leaders even within the church right now. Mm-hmm. These were the young people at independence. These yeah. are the independence crowd. These are the people that saw UNIP dislodge, uh, you know, uh, Walensky, UNIP uh, dislodge whatever. So, and, and this is the crop that went through a little bit of uh, national service, you know, this is the crop that is very patriotic. And now they are at the helm. Mm-hmm. Now, you come to them with, a, with, with um, a culture that is totally opposite to theirs. Because this is no longer biblical. The Bible is clear. I think even um, the, uh, the, the theologians that push for homosexuality do agree that if you are to take the Bible as it is, the Bible is against homosexuality. I'm giving you a viewpoint here. Mm. I'm giving you one viewpoint. They are saying that the Bible as it is, is against homosexuality. You cannot argue against it. So therefore, if the Bible as it is, is against homosexuality, it is no longer a debate 
about the text or the interpretation. Yeah. For instance, some people believe that the rapture will happen, uh, there's the pre-tribulation theory, mid-tribulation, that is an interpretation, but they all believe that the text is something we can stand on. However, when you say we are living in modern times where the Bible must be revised, it no longer uh, stays within the scriptural biblical interpretation realm. It now you have brought it squarely into mm. a cultural realm. And this is where the argument is for a lot of people. That now, why are you imposing a culture on us that is not only obnoxious, it's not only, you know, uh, abhorrent and it's just something else, but the majority of the world doesn't even have cling on to it. Isn't this imperialism? Isn't this cultural imperialism? So that's also part of the argument in this context that what is beginning to happen, remember, the generation we are dealing with. This is the post-independence generation, the generation mm -hmm. that saw national service, the generation that, uh, you know, we, we tested all of that. So now, should we go back? No, 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 no. We are going to stand our ground as a sovereign people. We're not going to have a culture imposed onto us. Because um, I think I read both statements by the Honorable Ambassador. Mm -hmm. And I must say that the gentleman, you know, I've also looked at his um, career path, the places where he's worked. He's worked in the Middle East. He's worked in Afghanistan. He's worked in um, uh, places America. like that in the Middle East, South America as well. So uh, he does know a lot about people and cultures. So perhaps this um, uh, argument is not really what he was pushing for homosexuality. Perhaps there's something else he was saying, and he is saying that, you know, perhaps we are yet to hear from him. However, what he has communicated to the people, what he has communicated is that I am imposing a culture on you. That is what is being communicated that the culture you have is inferior because there's an illusion that, you know, Zambia to make its mark amongst, you know, the, the, the modern states and, you know, um, maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but something that was communicated is that these are progressive states that have embraced that. Now, that is neocolonialism to a person on the ground here. Further, there is also the thinking that if you also are talking about, you know, putting in $500 million within the nation per year, which is very commendable. I think um, generally the people of Zambia love what the Americans are doing with the you know, uh, challenge, uh, the MCA doing the sanitation, the drainage, the works that they are doing in healthcare with HIV AIDS, et cetera, et cetera. But however, the challenge is this one, is that on the one hand, this is some of the interpretation. On one hand, you are talking about corruption, but you yourself are saying, we are bringing $500 million a year into the Zambian economy. Yet, I have only seen the president five times from the time I came to Zambia. So, in other words, what's being communicated is because I'm paying, I have right of admission to go and see the president at any time. Is that not corruption? That is up to the highest bidder because I have the paycheck. So these are some of the questions that uh, perhaps that's not what the ambassador meant. But that's how it has been perceived. Mm. Uh, <laughs> can I can I can I go ahead, go uh, right, uh, go? Okay, uh, Pastor. Uh, 
recently I was uh, somewhere. I just came out of the hospital. I was waiting for someone to pick me up, and uh, there was uh, I was right. sitting next to a, a to a white lady, and she had a baby. I mean, she right. had a child. I think it was maybe three years old, and the baby. Sometimes when I look, the child was looking at me. Now the child got an opportunity right. and came and tapped me on the shoulder, and he said. So she started talking uh-huh. to me as a friend, as a friend, you know. She did. Right. I mean, I, we had. The, she started telling me about where she was going to school, and the mother was a little bit uncomfortable. Say, you know. So right. now, because you are talking about uh, 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 the ambassador, now, Pastor, do you think right. do you think government and the people in the leadership, or what do you think about uh, someone who say, like even even yourself, Pastor? There's a chance. There's a chance that you would have been uh-huh. born a white person. There's a chance that you would have been right. a, 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 a Chinese. If you are a Chinese, if you are a Chinese, if you are a Chinese, how would you view the the right. the the, uh, uh, the 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 thing we are talking about? What about if you are an American? What do, what do you think about the thing uh-huh. we are talking about? And do you think it's something that we should bring to the discussion that saying things have changed? You know. Because there's two, uh, sometimes when we get in a conversation, we put because he's uh-huh. white. We don't look right. at the, 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 he's, uh, you know because he's white, because he's, uh, he's black. Right. If he was a, a black person who would have said this, uh-huh. do you think he would have looked at it in a different way? Right. I don't know if I, I, I made think, myself uh, clear. Yeah, I, 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 I follow you. I follow you. And um, I think the huge thing, like one German uh, philosopher said many years ago, is that the only lesson we learn from history is that we never learn from history. And um, one big thing is context, is that, um, you know, whenever we, 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 we talk about something, discuss something, we must have the context in which we want, that thing, you know, want to achieve whatever we want to achieve. And so it's a double-edged sword that you've asked. I think also, like I said earlier, uh, the Honorable Ambassador is a man that uh, has been to the Middle East. He's been to South America. Uh, I've read, you know, um, his presentation to the House of Senate when he was being nominated by President Trump. And, um, in fact, for me, when I read that nomination, his statement did not come as a surprise. Because um, in his nomination uh, statement to the, to the Senate, he makes some very hard um, statements about Zambia. Uh, he makes, so for me, him coming out to talk about, as a person, coming out to talk about homosexuality, I, I don't think I am at least uh, surprised. But however, what I'm saying is that we must understand the context in which, you know, he operates here in Zambia. I think there was uh, somebody who said many years ago, when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. Uh, and in fact, in Bible school, for people who go to seminary, there is a lesson that when you're taking up your first pastorate, don't move the piano. You know, I mean, that thing is sacred. <laughs> Even if you think it's in the wrong place. In other words, find out what, what, what's the politics here? Who are the major uh, actors? What are the factors? What is the world view? Uh, how do people perceive things? And when you've done that, you can then begin to operate more intelligently and more accurately 
you know, and then get what you really want to get. And so having said what I have said, I think in all of this, um, context really must be understood. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Pastor Kamalile is the author of a book entitled From Azusa to Zambia. Um, that's an interesting title, first in itself, Pastor. And uh, give, me, give us a synopsis on the book. Why should somebody buy the book, if I may say that? What yeah. do you address? Um, first of all, we address uh, the Pentecostalization, what we call the Pentecostalization of the nation. Whatever, uh-huh. when you're on a long-distance bus, there is somebody, an evangelist, so-called, giving a gospel message, giving a prayer. It's a civic meeting. It doesn't matter where you are. There is a prayer at the beginning. Somebody might even, during the delivery of a speech, shout hallelujah or amen. We have, uh, within our compounds, within our villages, we have all of these shops and streets that are called Jehovah Shalom, Abba Father, and so on and so forth. How did that come about? And then we have, moving further, this whole thing of the declaration of Zambia as a Christian nation. Why has it caused so much of a stir within Zambia? Why has it brought so much of an interest? How have we arrived at a place where now we have certain people, like, uh, for instance, Bishop Joe Imakando, who leads uh, a church, uh, one single church in Lusaka of 10,000, but he's got so many across Zambia and across the world. Dr. Nevas Mumba, where did they come from? You know, so it answers all of that. It also answers uh, the history itself of how these denominations came to Zambia. Uh-huh. Because up until this book, no other book has a synopsis and uh, a kind of a summary of how the classical Pentecostals came to Zambia. What we do have, uh, at best, we have academic works focusing many times on just one denomination, whether it's, whether it's the POAG uh-huh. or um, Apostolic Church, etc. but not all the denominations. Then who were the early players, people like uh, Chizaka Zipiri? You know, what did he give up? So that book really addresses all of those themes as well as the theme of the evangelical revival, because um, uh, at the turn of independence, Zambia only had 100 university uh, graduates. Graduates. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, out of university, and only 1,000 people that had a school certificate. We were not ready. We were the least ready of all the British colonies for independence. So what happened, uh, and how did this nation come out of that? And it's an incredible story. Uh, rather narrative, because um, we have the role of Zafis through the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students who mm-hmm. sent workers, health workers and uh, uh, educators and people like that to come to the new nation and disciple the nation. And if anyone reading that, uh, anyone who reads that, whether politician, whether social scientist, whether educationist, a believer, a pastor, a minister of the gospel, then gets to an understanding as to the, gum, as to the present psyche. Yes. This topic, we've been talking about that, uh, you know, about Ambassador Futi. You know, I wish we could get the book to him one way or the other. I think it would also give a bit more cultural context, you know, to the whole narrative. Uh, right. you know, I'm not saying he might change his stance. I mean, we, 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 we will, this is all a wait-and-see game. But, however, to give him an understanding of the people he's dealing with. 
Our politicians that are vying for political office will be having, you know, elections in 2021. They need to have an understanding of the voter they are dealing with. What are the issues that the voter is looking out for? You know, because sometimes people might think that uh, within the Zambian context or the African context, you know, things are done on social media, etc. Yeah, there is a group that is growing, but it's still small. You know, it's mm-hmm. early days yet. But the vast majority of people are off social media. But what are the things? Yes. What are the things that strike them? So this is what Azusa to Zambia in a nutshell is all about. It talks about, you know, the beginnings of music, Christian music, etc., etc. It's an awesome book. You and what led Dr. Chiruba, hmm. Yeah, like I was saying, what led Dr. Chiruba to declare Zambia Christian nation? The context there was uh, we had the Maharishi. And remember, uh, Christians, Pentecostals, and anything with idolatry and witchcraft, <laughs> it doesn't matter how tall or short or fat you are. Uh, if you're on the wrong side, you, 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 you'll be history. You you're know, they, they, they'll deal with you. You're in trouble. They'll deal with you in prayer. They'll deal with you in terms of um, activism, civil activism. So Dr. Kaunda and UNIP, you remember 1989, we had the Maharishi come in, etc. And that was deemed, it was perceived as something that was idolatrous, something from the netherworld, something nefarious, something obnoxious, and the Pentecostals had to jump. And Dr. Chiruba said, we are going to rededicate this nation off the altar of idolatry and witchcraft and bring it back to Jehovah God. Mm-hmm. And he believed as well, Dr. Chiluba, that the only way for Zambia to prosper was for it to be dedicated to God and uh, for it to have, you know, resumed relations with Israel. Again, we talk about the people that are around us, Mr. Waliamelu, Mr. Kavarika, General Godfrey Mianda, Dr. Danny Pule, Bishop Israel Chelewa, and so on and so forth. There's just a whole host of them. And the role of North Mid Assembly of God's Church in the whole of that mix. It's a, it's a beautiful book. Mm. So how do people get a, a copy? Those of us living in the diaspora, how can we get a copy? Right. Uh, people in the diaspora, right now we're working on uh, how to get it to you, but the simple and easiest way is to get a hold of Amy and Mwamba Chivesa. These are in the UK. They are in Leeds. Uh, in a moment, let me just, uh, I'll, I'll give you the addresses in just uh, a little moment. But they are in Leeds, and it's, uh, their numbers are plus four four seven four nine eight. One eight three three nine seven plus four four seven four nine eight one eight three three nine seven. Or here's another number plus one, which is an American number plus one double seven five two double seven three zero eight two. That's double seven five. Two double seven three zero eight two, or at best they can inbox me um, on Facebook, and we'll be glad to just get them there. I'm Kamulile Piri. I'm on Facebook. There is also a page for this same book. Mm-hmm. It's called Azusa Night. Azusa Night. Azusa so just Knight. like the page, mm-hmm. Azusa Night on Facebook. 
And yes, very glad we will give us that American number again. It's uh, plus seven. one. Mm-hmm. 775-277-3082. Okay. 775-277-3082. Those that are in the United States, you can call that number. And the book will be shipped to you. I have a copy. I've read the book. Excellent stuff. Very informative material. And I think it's important for us to have this information as well. We need to be people who are knowledgeable and who understand where things have come from and uh, where we are going. So uh, somebody listening to this show, Pastor Piri, as we conclude our discussion here, Living in the diaspora, our discussion, the theme has been the role of the clergy in national development. I'm a Christian. I live in the diaspora. How can I help my people in Zambia? What's my role? Number one is to keep the contact. This is the biggest thing, to keep mm-hmm. the contact. You know, because um, uh, you can only influence what you inform. So mm-hmm. if you're not, you know, informing and keeping the contacts, there's no way you can influence. So please keep the contact. Please, please. Those of you that have left, you know, uh, churches and uh, relatives and family, keep the contact. And with the contact, secondly, is bring in those ideas and say, look, because you understand both worldviews. And that's the beauty of living in the diaspora, because you've got the best of the West, especially, you know, on the North American seaboard, You've got the best of that world, as well as, you know, the best of the Zambian world. And so you understand these things. We're talking about witchcraft. When we're talking about people grappling with poverty, when we're people talking about grappling with abominations, why is homosexuality such an abomination? You can talk about it. But at the same time, you are living in that world. So you can say, "Mm, you know what, uh, people, even though we think witchcraft is like this or like that, it's not so much powerful. There Mm. are things that you can do. And bringing those uh, ideas, the third aspect is not on a practical level. Now, on a practical level is to um, resource, whether materially, uh, even, you know, local communities. I, I do know of a few people. There's one young girl I've heard about. You know, she's somewhere right there in the U.S. who's helping out, doing a tremendous job in Kitwe with some orphanages, and she's single-handedly. Uh, really running this orphan because uh, this orphanage rather because one dollar in the united states is not one dollar in zambia Mm. the buying power of the dollar in zambia is far much greater than one dollar in the u.s i don't know if you can even go to starbucks on one dollar in the u.s i doubt it i I don't how much is a coffee in the u.s now you know maybe five dollars i don't know but that one dollar here on a practical you know uh, side can do so much. So whether it's in the orphanage, whether it's in the schools, so we need that practicality. And then up another scale. I believe government has got this um, diaspora policy with the land, and I think um, I'm not really qualified to so much talk about it, but I think the people that are there are more, you know, are more qualified. But at least on the first three, I can very confidently talk about keep the networks going because what you do not, you know, where, where, where you are, what you don't inform, you can't influence. Uh-huh. So once you, like here we are chatting, we are chatting here. So you can easily, you can easily influence, you know, you can easily talk. Secondly, you can bring in those ideas, like I said. Thirdly, 
the practical steps can be done. You know, bring in musical items, bring in the computers, you know, for schools and for the churches, for the churches to start um, uh, IT centers. You know, I don't know how much to ship, you know, motherboards is from the U.S. and, uh, and stuff like that. So there's a whole host of things that can be done, even books. We have libraries in the U.S., uh, the college libraries that some books are now obsolete. Of course, we're going digital. But there are hardcover books that are going obsolete that here would be a gold, you know, would, would just be gold and diamond and something to pick on. So those are some of the ways in which uh, the people in the diaspora can really help. And never forget uh, one piece, like what Joseph said, you know, you know, talking about talking to his brother, mm. that uh, you might have said to me, you might have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So the reason why we have the brothers within the diaspora is to really help Africa. Look at Ghana. Ghana, most of the earnings or the income, a lot of the inflow, I think it's number two or number three, comes from the diaspora. Zimbabwe is the same story. Senegal is the same story. And I think Africans were really doing a lot. And uh, we must commend you people in the diaspora for what you're doing, for standing for your uniqueness as Africans. And uh, in applauding and commending you, we want to say, yes, as we hit 2020, let's do it even a little bit more. Wow, excellent. Pastor Piri, thank you so much. That was our discussion yeah. for today, the role of clergy national development. And our guest was Pastor Kamulile Piri. is the founder and senior pastor at Isaka Love Center in Lusaka and is also the author of a book entitled From Azusa to Zambia. For those in the U.S., if you wish to get a copy of this book, please call 775-277-3082. And a copy will be shipped to you. A good read. Derek will tell you that. Derek and I have got copies of this book. We've read it. And it's, oh, my goodness, it's got a wealth of information. Pastor, Merry Christmas to you and your family and a blessed New Year. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much to everyone that listened, everyone that participated. I'm truly grateful. Merry Christmas. Excellent. I'll be catching up with you in a bit. <laughs> All right, sir. All right. Well, Noah, Dr. Patrick, Gary, that was the Pastor Peter for us. He he dropped a lot of information there. I, I've learned quite a bit from him, historical information and uh, I, I like the part, you Noah, know, where he talks about uh, where the colonial masters came in and uh, declared these nations that were already existing. Uh, just like what happened here in the United States when the, when the European settlers came, they completely just overran the Native Americans and uh, began to declare territories, Montana, Texas, Louisiana, California, and all this, and all that kind of stuff. Interesting, interesting. Let's say where comments, Noah? Um. Yeah, I think the pastor did a great job. He's very informed, he spoke very eloquently on the topic and subject matter. Mm -hmm. And he said something also, he connected also the issue of witchcraft and also related about history. <laughs> I think that's one thing that we in the West we overlook, really, right? We overlook because I think I had a friend of mine. He went to Zambia and of course he got there. 
before you know it, his, his tongue fills up his mouth. He can't speak, mm-hmm. and he's in the village. Of course, he is taken back to Lusaka, and then he's okay. So witchcraft is something that is real, and I think I don't know how we you, can you, you see, no, I'm glad that you say that, because you are one person who has said on this show a lot of times when we are looking at issues, to say, please, let's stop looking at things with the lenses or glasses of the Western mindset and culture. Uh, yes. I remember yes. particularly when we're talking about Mugabe's legacy. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, you clearly pointed that out. So this witchcraft thing may actually just even come to, let's say, somebody may say, come on, what are you guys talking about witchcraft? It's, some people are afraid yeah. to go home because of that. Go ahead and say. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> witchcraft is very, excuse me, witchcraft is very real because these yeah, people are invited. Yeah, I'm we invited everyone. Oops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying the gentleman who went to Zambia, you see, it's very funny for most people in the West, so they might think this is not true. Mm-hmm. goes back to Zambia to check on his family. He gets to the village. For some reason, his tongue fills up in the mouth. He can't open the mouth. He can't talk. And people are wondering, hey, what's going on? The, he goes back to Lusaka. He was somewhere in, uh, in, in the village. He goes back mm-hmm. to Lusaka. And he try. He goes back the second time. The same thing happens, and he goes back back to Lusaka. Uh, he tries. So if these are some of the things, of course, it has to do with our people. When people send their kids to school and all that, when you retain, you are trying to help them out. They feel like, no, you're overlooking them and you're boastful and all stuff like that. That's very, very unfortunate. And there are a lot of us here who are afraid mm. to go back to Zambia because of the same thing. And so that's why I always tell people that when we are looking at African matters or issues, issues we shouldn't yeah. just blanket them and look at them with the lenses from the West. Because, for yeah. instance, Dr. Patrick, on this one, he may be shocked. Like, hey, what are these people talking about? Because that's not something that he has experienced. But some of us coming from the other side, we know that that's real. So mm. it's unfortunate, but I think, yeah, it's, it, we always have to look at situations from the standpoint where we are and being objective, not necessarily say no because we are in the West. Therefore, all this thing is a bunch of, I mean, narcissistic. Witchcraft is yeah. function very, very well. That's true. Derek, Derek what, what stood out to you from what the things that you heard uh, Pastor, Pastor Piri address? Yeah, you know, I've listened to Pastor Camille so many times. I've said, I've said, he didn't have his and so most of the things that he's talking about is not new to me because I've listened to him as my youth pastor, and then I spent so mm. much time in his house as a young man, him and his wife uh, were very good friends. So I uh, you know Pastor Camille, that was vintage Pastor Camille. One good thing about Pastor Camille, I would really advise is if anybody that wants to network with the pastor like in Zambia, Pastor Camille is the right mm. person because he's knowledgeable about politics, 
business I think from his accounting background as a chartered accountant and then but he's open minded and you read even what he talks about uh, people in the diaspora that, that you can do you need to, to bring ideas apparently there's animosity from people in Zambia to people in the diaspora they don't accept yeah, ideas yeah, I can't remember true. You try to give them ideas, they think they are boasting, or oh, they say, let's one day, you know, those things like that. But that's the yeah, way somebody that, uh, you know, is open-minded, open to ideas. And I remember mm-hmm. when, he was, that when he was building his church, I talked to him, I said, Pastor Kamui, I don't understand this Zambian pastor. They raise classrooms, and then they talk about these functions that they want to do with the gymnasium and the this. Why, why can't you start with the gymnasium, which is the Vashangra building? Move into that building, start working there, and then you, build, you start building a function. Because instead of raising a person, you say, oh, go ahead, that's a good idea. Pastor Kamuya went and built his church. I mean, they leave all the person that has been pastors for 28 years, they can't build churches. Wow. So he's open, he's open to ideas, and he's somebody that he can really, he's not in the politics. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you see, and true. you can tell a person who's open to ideas, they actually go very far in life. You know, one thing I'll tell everybody here listening, or of coding and listening online, I, we had agreed, uh, Pastor Alan, that I would send him points for our talking points and some questions, but I decided mm-hmm. not to do it. I told him, I said, you know what? When you look at questions in advance, you are going to be sounding like a parrot. Trust me, yeah. every question that I asked him and anything that I threw at him, he was hearing it for the first time, just like everybody listening was hearing. But amazingly, look at the way he responded and the way he was breaking down the information and the statistics that he gave. You know, something, you see, for me, this was about clergy and national development. I'll tell you what, I don't know what, what contribution you want to make, Alan, here. For me, something that has stood out, everything that you have said, Derek, how mm. the colonial masters just came and clustered these nations, you know, like they call them here, the, the native Indians. They lived in their own nations, the nation of Cherokee nation, the, this nation. You know, the way he categorized the Bemba nation, the Ngoni nation. You know, in history, when we were learning, they were saying that Bemba kingdom, you know, Ngoni kingdom, Chewa kingdom. And the colonial masters just came and said, this is now a nation. You know, one nation of different, you can probably understand some of the things we are dealing with today. We have completely not even looked at things that way. Anyway, for me, that's what, Everything else that he has said, to me, that's what stood out. I, that's the way my mind works. Even when I listen to a sermon, there will just be one thing that will stand out. Alan, I know you had to drop and you had to go for a meeting, but this man has dropped a wealth of information to, with us. Yeah, you know, I, I was really kicking myself. I was actually like 20 minutes late for my meeting because I just wanted to stay on. Um, he's very, very um, intelligent. This, this is the thing that I have with me. The way I look at the church is the same way that I look at uh, our issues of Zambia. When we are discussing mm-hmm. Zambia, economic development, all these things, when we want to talk as if are, we don't have intelligent and smart people in Zambia, I totally yeah. subscribe to that. 
we have a breakdown where people become corrupt and where the politicians are, you know, we're stealing the silver. Yes, that's something. But if we're going to just lump it all in one basket and just say, uh, Zambians are not smart, we're mm. it's not going to help anybody and we can't get, we can't go anywhere. You know, but we've got mm-hmm. to change to, to, to attack issues as they are presented. So even in the church world, people assume because you are a pastor, now you're not smart and you don't have a brain, you can't reason, you can't I understand know, right? economy and all these things, which is totally ridiculous, you know, because some of us did not start off with theology. We've been to college, you know, mm-hmm. we, 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 mm-hmm. we, you know and we go that way. You, you see, Alan, part. just there, just there, when I introduced him, that's why I said accountant turned preacher. And Derek yeah. has already mm-hmm. has also mentioned this is a chartered accountant by qualification. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. It's very important so, for us to point out those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, as far as being classified, the, the Europeans when they came, they had an agenda. So everything they did to Africans and what the Americans did to the Native Americans here, they had an agenda. They had an agenda oh. they wanted to look. Now, if me, I am the one who comes to colonize you. And I'm the one who has to benefit. What does Britain or UK have in terms of mineral wealth or any of these things? They don't have much. They have to get from somewhere. Now, if it is not in their best interest to liberate us, to tell us you can produce and manufacture and, and teach us how to stand on our own two feet. It's not in their That's interest. True. The only um. people that can liberate the Africans is the African people themselves. Just like Dr. Patrick is telling us. Just like yeah, we've, got, us. <laughs> we've got to stop allowing the West to define who we are. We have to mm. begin to define ourselves and define our own destiny. We, that true. is very, very important. You know, as yeah, long as we subscribe true. to, you know, we are third world country. No, we are not mm-hmm. as smart as them because they are, we are not. We are going to continue and keep depending on them to solve our problems. It's never That's going to true. happen. No, then, it then won't. They, All right, they everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as we come to the conclusion of this show, I'm thankful to Pastor Kapile. Just a few announcements here before we go. Uh, beginning January, our first show in January is going to be on the 4th, I believe, and we are changing the time. Instead of starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, we'll be starting at 10. Okay, we want to accommodate the people on the West Coast because by the time we are starting the show, it's six in California. And we just want to make that adjustment and see what we can do. Um, A a dear friend and one of the mentors that I've known for many years, uh, if I mention the name, some people may identify with him, Alan, uh, Dr. Benson Chipasha, his wife has passed on to be with the Lord. I have known these people literally all my life. I mean, these are people that mentored us and helped us in our growth as youth as we were growing up. And uh, Miss Rachel, Miss Rachel was going to be with the Lord and our prayers and Which is Pastor? Is it the one that worked with the Dr. Mumba, Nevers Mumba? Yes, yes, yes. That's oh, Pasha, oh. the one with the Victory Ministries. Yeah. yeah, the wife has died oh. and uh, Oh. So let's be praying for them, and uh, it's a very difficult situation. She had cancer. She has been sick for a long time. She has been in hospital for a long time. So to Benson, to Dr. Benson Chipasha and the family, uh, condolences from me personally and from the Zambia Block Talk Radio family. So until next week will be the final session of, 
of my political series. I'll be talking to one of the gentlemen I shall let you know. Roger my Jonas from Zambia as well next week. So everybody, Merry Christmas and have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us. Well,